Welcome to Eat, Sleep, Wine, Repeat, a podcast for all you wine lovers who, if you're like me, just cannot get enough of the good stuff. I'm Yanina Doyle, your host, brand ambassador, wine educator, and sommelier. So stick with me as we dive deeper into this ever-evolving, wonderful world of wine. And wherever you are listening to this, cheers to you. Hello to you all. So today's episode, we are going to be talking about winemaking and what it's like to be studying to be a winemaker. So I'm chatting with Jenny Middlehurst, who is studying at Plumpton College right now. Now their wine division allows you to get a wine degree. You can even do a part-time course. So on wine business, wine sensory, vine nutrition, vine growing. And of course, you can also do a wine apprenticeship too. Now they're located in East Sussex in England of course and some of our top English winemakers have studied there so Jacob Ledley of Black Chalk which by the way was one of my favorite sparkling wines of last year he was previously at Hattingley Valley you have Ben Woolgate he's from Tillingham who was previously at Gusbourne and also Josh Donaghy Spear of Chapel Downs so many to check out so you can probably imagine that this episode is also going to be a little bit on English wine as well so for those of you who are not in the UK who are yet to try English wines now is the time the exports are increasing they account for about 10% of our production which is still only around 550,000 bottles but we are getting there you'll be able to grab some especially if you're in Scandinavia the US and Canada. They are the top markets. So in a bit, you're going to hear from Jenny, but I'm going to touch a little bit first on the topic fermentation. Now, this is something I often get asked about. So I figured, you know what, let's get a little bit wine geeky now. Now, when I did my WSET diploma, I remember one of the questions on my winemaking exams was, what is the formula of fermentation? Well, okay, everyone take a pen. It is, ready? C6H12, 06, converts into 2C2H5, OH, plus 2CO2, plus energy. (laughs) Let's hope that comes up at the next pub quiz, right? But in more basic terms, it means glucose and fructose turns into ethanol plus carbon dioxide plus energy. So what that means is that when the sugars break down, they release carbon dioxide, ethanol and energy by the anaerobic metabolism of yeast. Boom. Right, so now let's look at what the winemaker can do. Now, he can choose to ferment the grapes in different vessels. Now, sometimes a winemaker chooses to ferment in oak barrels. Oak barrels retain heat far more than, for instance, a stainless steel tank, which you can typically control by a computer. So you have to be far more careful with this. But as a positive, with red wine, that can help you with extraction from the skins, which can give more colour and aromas and tannins. Stainless steel and cement tanks are actually much easier to clean and they're also cheaper, which can be a massive advantage for some winemakers. A French oak barrel, as an example, typically starts at around £600. Now, these stainless steel tanks, they don't allow oxygen exchange in. So if the winemaker wants to focus on more primary fruit flavours, this can be better than barrels. But it all depends on what the winemaker's time is, his costs and the style that he wants to achieve. 
Now, for the fermentation to actually happen, we need yeast. This is what converts the sugar into alcohol. You may have heard of people talking about wild yeast and wild fermentations. So this is where the winemaker chooses to let the fermentation happen naturally using the indigenous yeast that live in the bloom on the grape skin. So this is rather than inoculating. This is the more natural way to do things. However, you are leaving things to nature. So this might mean you get some funky flavours. Also, the wild yeast might not be that strong, so the fermentation might get off to a slow start. This then runs risks of oxidation or microbiological spoilage. However, winemakers choosing this method would say that it's the traditional, natural way to do things. And also, if you get it right, you can get greater complexity and a better quality. If the winemaker wants to choose specific strains of yeast, now let's get a little bit wine geeky again, this is known as Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Now remember there's a transcript, go to the show notes and then you'll be able to download that and see the spellings. If they use this wine yeast, they can have more consistency, they can have more control of the flavours. So you specifically choose your strain of wine yeast and this will make the wine perhaps fruitier. You could pick a different strain to make your wine weightier or to encourage those green notes that we get in Sauvignon Blanc or in fact to extract more phenolics from the skins. Now after that's all sorted, What temperature does the winemaker want it at? The temperature will change the speed of fermentation. So white wine typically ferments at 10 to 18 degrees Celsius and red a little bit higher at 20 degrees Celsius to 32. Now the winemaker has to get this right because if he gets it too cold, you might get more volatile aromas. The red wines might not get much colour or tannin and white wine might get these banana pear drop aromas. They're known as isoamyl acetate. Too hot and then the wine might oxidise or the aromas and flavours might in fact just disappear. Now the winemaker may want to add oxygen in to encourage the yeast to multiply. Now this is especially important for red wines that haven't been crushed yet or pressed beforehand. So that's where you may hear the French terms, for example, pisage. This is in English, punching down. So it literally means where you punch down the grape skins that have risen to the surface, they they create a cap. Traditionally, they would have done this with their feet, but now you can use paddles or basically any tool to submerge those skins. And this can be manual or automatic. The other way is remontage. And this is known as pumping over. So this is taking the juice from the bottom of the tank and you pump it back over the top of the skins. As an example between the two, the second method adds more oxygen, which of course is going to affect the flavours of the wine. So the winemaker needs to decide what is the end result that he wants. Now, encouraging yeasts to multiply can be a very good thing. For a winemaker, their worst nightmare is a stuck fermentation. Now, this can happen if you're using wild yeasts. As an example, they can die off before finishing fermentation. Perhaps they got the temperature wrong or the yeasts run out of nutrients. Now, pay attention later on. You're going to hear Jenny mention DAP. I've actually looked it up now. This is diammonium phosphate. And this is a nutrient that can be just added back into the fermentation to get it going again. You could also use vitamin B. Of course, you could also re-inoculate with some wine 
yeast cultures or change the temperature. Now, as soon as the fermentation has actually finished, this typically takes between two and three weeks. A winemaker must decide what happens next. Now, with red wine, he might want to leave the wine in contact with the skins for a longer maceration. So that's going to add more colour, tannin, aromas. Or with the white wine, he might want to add sulfur dioxide to make sure that the malolactic fermentation doesn't happen as he wants to keep the wine light and fresh. But if, for instance, you have a rich white wine like Chardonnay, a winemaker may want that naturally occurring process, malolactic fermentation, to occur. Now, malolactic fermentation is very often shortened down to MLF. And this is where the malic acids, so think of the sharpness of apples, it is converted into lactic acids. So now think of the creaminess of milk. So you get a richer, softer, less acidic style of wine. So those buttery Chardonnays, malolactic fermentation is perfect for it. And then what does he do? Does he least stir the wine? Does he age it in barrel or concrete or clay or glass? How is he going to find the wine? How is he going to filter the wine? There are so many decisions that he or she can make. Right, but for now, I think it's time to go over to the chat with Jenny and you can see what wines we are drinking. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited talking about winemaking and, of course, English wine goes hand in hand, right? Exactly. It does. It does. <laughs> so tell me what wine have you picked for us? Because I've got, di- we got different wines. So we're going to, you know, drink along as we go. What have you brought to the table today? So I've gone for a rosé. So I've gone for a Pinot Meunier uh, from Black Book, which is a urban winery based in Battersea in London. Love that. I've gone with the Simpsons Wine Estate, one of their Chardonnays. I thought it's actually a perfect uh, one to talk about because I think it's a really interesting winery, actually. And I haven't even tried. I'm going to pour. Have you poured yet? Are you? Yes, I've poured. I've poured. Are you? And Are I've you? tried. I've tried some of the um, Simpson Chardonnay. Which one do you have? Because I think I've tried the Gravel Road. Is it Gravelly Road? There's a few. Yeah. Yes, there is a few. They have the Roman Road, I think, which is their top one. And then they have the Gravel Castle. That's it. Yes, The Gravel Castle. So I've only had the Roman Road Chardonnay. Oh, and it was just so flinty. It was so intense. It was absolutely beautiful. But they are on the exact same chalky, lime-rich soils as Champagne. So, you know, they're in a yeah. fantastic spot. And actually, it's worth mentioning, for their still wines, I haven't met Ruth and Charles. They're a winemaking couple. But every time I've seen an interview from him, he's so particular about everything that they've done done very very anal everything has to be perfect and so all of the grape varieties that they use for the still wines are burgundian grape varieties as opposed to the yeah. champagne ones and then just kind of oh byproduct let's make a still wine and stuff and i think it, you know when you listen to the way he makes the wines uh, they spent twenty thousand pounds on analytical uh, equipment as an example like Got a lot of time for that <laughs> But I mean, he's kind of said, I don't know if you know, they had a, well, they have a domain in the Languedoc-Roussillon region in France called Domaine de Saint-Rose. I think I do know that. I think I've heard that. Mm, That's where I first found out about them drinking their French wine. And so, of course, he said that they've been able to get the crew, equipment, people coming over from France. It saved them a lot more money, whereas then, so then they can invest properly. And they definitely have invested whenever I've seen any of their numbers. And um, I think it's starting to show. So cheers. Cheers. Virtually cheers. Virtually cheers. (laughs) So tell me, have a little taste and tell me about your rosé. 
So it's, do you know what? It's absolutely gorgeous. So I had this the last time when I was at Black Book Winery when I was bottling there for them. Okay, yeah. So I just did a day where you can just go ahead and you can bottle. And we first tried it and it's just lovely because it's very different from that kind of provincial style of rosé because mm-hmm. it's got a bit more about it. It's got a slight bit more texture and it's got a bit more oiliness and it's just really quite fruity. With a floral note to it as well. A bit Love of like that. grapefruit, melony. It's delicious. Maybe a bit of like wild strawberry. I could go on all night. <laughs> I love it. But you know, the, the, for anybody who doesn't know Black Book uh, Winery, you can go and visit them. They are in London as well, which makes it so easy to get there. Exactly. Funny, we've both picked husband-wife operations, haven't we here? So this is yes, Sergio. Yes, because Sergio and I can't remember his wife's name. <laughs> oh no, I know. And I know she actually has a very big part. But Sergio, of course, is the winemaker. So that's why we, you yes. know, but he's been everywhere. I've, done, I've tasted so many of his wines. And funny enough, his Chardonnay was a wine that we tasted. A whole bunch of sommeliers got together and we did a blind tasting and everybody had to bring a bottle. And I brought the Chardonnay 2018 and everybody was convinced it was a Premier Cru Chablis. They were like, oh my God, we think it's about £30 and his Chardonnay is £20 a bottle. And when I unveiled yeah. it, everyone was like, oh my God, this is amazing. So it was such an amazing example for, hey... This is English still wine. This is how good yeah, we can make it's it. Good. Yeah. Is it is it called is it controversy? Is that the is that the Chardonnay you've got? No, I, I, I want to say painter of light. Oh it could be, yes. <laughs> I can never remember them all. I, I know the first rose I had from them was Isn't it something about a rebel? How to be a rebel. Ah, I'm Googling. And it is. Painter of light, Chardonnay two thousand and eighteen. If anyone can find that in stock oh my God, go and get it. You'll be so, so happy. I think so. I tried it actually when we were there because he let us go around all the tanks and take some. Ooh. And um, yeah, it was good. I think as well with the Blackbird Winery, well, everything is natural, isn't it? I'm pretty sure he's it's not adding... It's minimal intervention for yeah. sure. There's, yeah. there's, there's limited fining, filtering, especially on 2018. I'm pretty sure there was no fining or filtering. Well, that helps because of that wonderful... Yeah. For anybody who's not in England, 2018 is just an incredible vintage. And also we had so yeah. much of it as well. So the nice yeah. thing is you could actually get hold of a decent amount because the volume went up massively but Sergio I mean he's so skilled he was at Greyfriars as well uh, I think before he started Black Book and then I remember he was at De Montiel in Burgundy and then Flowers which I love in California and Atarangi so I remember in places where they do some really wow. good Pinots and Chardonnays he's got a very very good CV so he's certainly doing fantastic things for English and he, um, he started his uh, winemaking course at Plumpton <laughs> Oh, look at that link. Look at that Yay, link there. <laughs> segue, segue to Plumpton College. So you are studying at Plumpton. What is it that you're studying? So it's viticulture and enology, but I'm doing the master's degree. So luckily for me, I did my undergrad in microbiology about sort of eight, nine years okay. ago. So it meant that I had kind of a really good foundation. So could go straight in and do the year and a half master's program. And I didn't go for the full three year degree. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, more out of cost than anything else to be okay. honest. Okay, so this master's you're doing, if someone did the full three-year degree, they would finish off with what you're doing now, right? No, they would, they'd finish up with a BSc. So they'd finish okay. with an undergrad okay. of, um, or like a regular degree, but this is the extra year and a half that you would get after you'd done a degree to do a master's. Oh, okay. Right, well, talk to me then. So it's a master's of science in wine, really. Okay, what are you learning then? Are you out in the vineyards or are you just doing the winemaking? I think normally we would be out in the vineyards a little bit more, but because uh, of COVID this year, we've not been able to get out as much as we want to. 
fermented. Mm-hmm. But the the course is structured so it is both winemaking and grape growing, okay. essentially. So we do do modules on a lot of the viticulture side, sort of like how the grapes are grown and we talk about berry ripeness and we talk about all the different compounds and phenolics and how the the grapes really are grown and how you can affect that using vine nutrition, canopy management, all of the different techniques that you would use as a viticulturist. Mm -hmm. And we apply that especially, and it's really good that we're in the UK because we can apply that then to English vineyards themselves. And we've done a couple of days out picking grapes and we, we made our own wine as well which was amazing okay that's awesome tell me about what that wine was so we made our brief was to make an orange wine oh. or to make a, a white skin contact okay. which was really cool okay. actually so we took some grapes from Plumpton Vineyard which is Rock Lodge and we harvested them we had this peewee grape variety called Mascaris oh okay and we then yeah which no one's ever heard of what's a peewee yeah so peewee is a hybrid variety mm-hmm. So it's based on a German word that I cannot say, but it's a hybrid (laughs) variety that I'm not even going to try and say. Uh But it's a hybrid variety that means that it's more resistant to pests and needs less spraying. Mm -hmm. So they're they're typically not really known very well across the world, but there are quite a few vineyards now that are just planting peewees, just especially in the UK. But you'll you'll hear of, I think Saval Blanc is a a peewee, or is definitely a hybrid. Okay, so peewee is not the name of this specific hybrid. Hybrid. Yeah, I think there's a group of hybrids called peewees. It, there's not very much information online about them, and we've all kind of struggled to really know what that means. Okay, so Savoy Blanc is a hybrid, also part of the peewee kind of family, maybe. And then this grape variety, which is a hybrid, part of the peewee family, is what? What's the name of this grape variety? Mascaris. 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 Okay, fine. Yes. Okay. And I think it's a cross between Solaris okay. and Muscat. Right, so we are talking pretty aromatic, very floral. Yeah. Exactly okay. that. Right. Beautifully aromatic. Okay. Lovely grape Okay. So how was it then making it with a bit more skin contact and making this orange wine? Yeah, so it was really interesting because obviously we're dealing with really small amounts. So we're, we're basically only making, we've made three demijohns, which are five litres. That's tiny. So we've made about 15 litres of wine. <laughs> That's cute. It's a really, really well, small amount. Just, just in case it's really bad, you know, you can just pour it down the sink. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but the idea is that we get to see it and you get to sort of pick the grapes yourself, take them back to the lab mm-hmm. and you'd put them through a crusher destemmer. Then you would then press them in a little tiny hydro press. Mm-hmm. You know, this, this is kind of like less than a metre high. But it's like a baby version of making a full-on wine like normal, really, what you're describing so far. Exactly, okay. exactly. Right. And it's quite nice because you can touch and feel everything as you go and you can see it all in a tiny little room and you feel quite close to it as well. And then you obviously let it settle for a little bit and we um, pressed it at different intervals. So we pressed the first lot on day one, then we pressed a second lot on day four and then day eight okay. to see what the effect of skin contact would have on the phenolics on the alcohol, on the sugars, okay. and all that sort of thing, and on the fermentation. Let's get geeky. Tell me about that. What did you feel from tasting the wines after day zero, day two, day four? So we definitely had more kind of, um, There was a, we found that there was more alcohol, actually, which was really interesting. Okay. So we found that the sugar seemed to be higher on the 
grape varieties that had been with their skins so the the grapes that had been within their skins and in the juice Mm -hmm. for longer so the ones that had had extended skin maceration found that they would you know have higher sugar which would then result in greater alcohol Mm -hmm. which was really interesting and we we put that down to more kind of compounds for the yeast to then eat essentially and convert that to alcohol Okay. And then at the end, so okay, so then you put all of these different pressed grapes into fermentation and then afterwards did you blend back in or did you make separate wines? So at the moment they're just there's just sitting and chilling. Oh moment. okay, we so don't know yet. We don't know yet. So we've just we've done all of our initial tests and they're still kind of in their separate bottles. So we, it might be a really nice idea for us to to blend them and see what, which sort of pressings we would like and then to create a couple of bottles of our, our final wine, which would be lovely. Love that. So what got you into winemaking in the first place? Because it's funny, we were chatting and actually currently you work in banking, don't you? So the wine bug, like many others, has grabbed you. So what is it? I know you went and did a harvest, didn't you, last year in South Africa? Yes, that's right. I guess the luxury being working in banking is a lot of people will know this if they work in finance is you spend a lot of time trying not to be in banking (laughs) (laughs) spending a lot of time on holiday or Uh away from the office Uh or trying to travel or you know go to nice restaurants so I think my love of wine really came from traveling and going to some lovely places and then just kind of getting involved with um, wine tastings or visiting, you know, I've been to Napa and I've just kind of been like, yeah, why don't we wine taste when we're in Napa? Okay. And the romance and the history and the story and the whole kind of creating something from the land and making it into a product mm-hmm. is just really beautiful. And the whole idea that it's very scientific, but also has got a bit of a creativeness to it is completely up my street as a scientist myself. So yeah, it was just all these kind of components came together. And a few years ago, I was looking for kind of like a new hobby or something to get interested in. And I was exploring whether I wanted to do something more to do with food because I have a big love for food as Don't well. Don't we all? And, <laughs> Too yeah, much. Eating it, I think, more than cooking yes! it. Yes. Okay. Out. Definitely. You're my sole sister in that. <laughs> I can't be bothered to bake. Yeah. Just give it to me in a box and I'll uh, shove it down my throat. Exactly. Good. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So then I decided to do the WSCT journey, really. Mm -hmm. Um, Started that a couple of years ago and just absolutely was hooked. And then anywhere that I wanted to go, I just wanted to do wine tasting, really. So the past, and it's not been very long, to be honest, the past couple of years, wherever I've gone, I've just done wine tasting. And it was not last year, but the year before, at the end of the year, I did a beautiful wine tasting trip in Priorat in Spain, which is an incredible place to go and and just so quiet as well and peaceful. Mm. And it was there that I met this lady and she kind of walked us through all the vines and she kind of explained the role of the winemaker, which I didn't really, I mean, I'd heard about the winemakers and their role, but then... It was kind of when she started saying, well, our winemaker makes these types of decisions and it's kind of feels like his wine. And I was like, do you know what? That's really what I want to do, Mm because it brings together that science element, that creativeness and the wine and kind of a bit of a food element. And it brings everything a bit together, Mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. And I think straight away I got home. I looked at wine courses that I could take, found Plumpton and was like this is right up my street, applied like three weeks later. Oh, I love that. 
brilliant and then started, I guess. So when you're at Plumpton, I know that there's no such thing as a typical day on the course because you're learning so many different aspects. But what is it that you are doing inside the winery or what is it that do you find the most interesting part of winemaking? Yeah, so I guess I guess the course is more theoretical okay. than practical. Well, especially as well, since the unfortunate event of coronavirus mm. and that we'd usually be going on a champagne trip next month and that's been postponed and we'd usually be out pruning in the vineyard, but we can't do that. Mm. So there's a lot of practical elements we've not been able to do, which is unfortunate. Mm. But the typical day is definitely more... Um, we do do... Usually in the mornings we'd have um, a lecture, which will go over you know the chemistry of wine, mm-hmm or some of the vineyard growing techniques and those sorts of things. And then in the afternoon, we would then do a practical. So that might be sensory. So that might be tasting different wines and looking at how you would judge wines or how you would compare wines. Or we would be in the winery seeing some grapes get pressed. Mm -hmm. Or we would be in the lab and understanding how we would take out TA or different... um, different sort of analyses that you can do or we'd be in the vineyard doing some picking and doing some you know getting a little tour of what's going on Mm. what do you think is your favorite part um I love it all really (laughs) I get I get really interested I mean uh, yeah um for me the most the most interesting thing has been around the sensory side okay so it's the perception of how people taste wine and then what they think about that Mm -hmm. so that's what my thesis is going to be on um, is around more of that sensory side because I guess it links together some of the stuff that I've been doing around the tastings that I've been providing and getting you know doing a bit of wine education and then the wine scientist in me I guess well actually funny enough you say that I started reading cork dork the, um, I don't know what you'd call this kind of book. It's a girl that decides for one year she just wants to go crazy and learn everything there is about wine. But of course, she's a journalist and she's just, she needs to know everything about everything. And there's a section on it that really talks about the, you should be able to tell me if I'm saying this correctly, the olfactory bulb. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say it correctly? Anyway, the, it's a myth that we actually don't smell things very well compared to animals and that this tiny little bulb at the front of our brain and it's rubbish and we can hardly smell anything. They have very recently been doing loads of tests. They've even done one that I thought was really interesting where they blindfolded humans put them on all fours and you had to chase like chocolate essence through a forest and basically they were doing this and comparing it to dogs and we were basically doing things absolutely to the same timing or to the same standard and they think with all these different tests should we be on all fours which we wouldn't be (laughs) if we were on all fours more often and have the practice like dogs and rats which are known to have these amazing sensory smelling abilities we actually are far better than anyone has ever thought we've kind of been just told we just it's been dumbed down like no we have rubbish smell just get over it and apparently we have the same olfactory bulb the same size as like a rat well actually our brain being so much bigger we're able to interpret the data in so many more ways so that enhances our smell but it just shows the research going into our senses and our smell and certainly you don't just taste just on the tongue there's a taste down the throat further down there's like some tasting even apparently in the stomach lining a few other places it was quite interesting and this myth as well of just only sweetness on the front and salt on the side and whatever there are so many taste buds so it'd be interesting to see where we are in 10-15 years with more and more science Mm. just really understanding it but yeah sorry carry on you tell me why the sensory 
is so exciting. Yeah, and I mean, it's just that. It's So we do, we've done a few really interesting experiments where our tutor has laid out uh, kind of like 30 different little boxes and with each of them, there's a strawberry or a raspberry or a banana or a kiwi mm. or a pineapple, lots of different fruits and also flowers and herbs. And we'd have to go through and smell them and see what we could detect. And it's those sorts of things of like creating that muscle memory of your senses. Yes. To me, is just so interesting. Absolutely. Um, and it's, it's a real skill to have as well. And then we've done lots of analysis where we've had two different wines, in the same wine in front of us. But we've had one that contains a little bit more salt or a little bit more sugar. Ah. And we've had to see if we can then detect the difference. Because as a winemaker, you need to be able to detect faults, essentially. So it's just seeing if we can detect that slightly difference in taste and training ourselves to do that, which is just amazing. That's amazing. For anyone who's interested as well, I got many years ago, Le Nez de Vin, spelled Le Nez du Vin, for anyone who's, who wants to search that. Are they the little aroma kits? Yeah, really expensive, unfortunately. They're not cheap. But yeah. when I got mine, I got it through eBay, somebody who had obviously got bored after the first year. <laughs> so <laughs> that was useful. But they're so handy just because, you know, get a bottle, shove it under your nose and get smelling. And they have done, again, it said it in my cork dork book, that just by smelling the same aroma two or three times a day for a few weeks, you can completely train your brain to identify that scent. But same thing, go on walks, lick wet stones, smell the casea flowers, <laughs> get right in your dog poo, stick your nose right in there. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. It is that. It's about training yourself and you don't have to, you can't, the aroma sets are wonderful, but you can just be really mindful when you're eating or drinking. And it's just that constant kind of like, I'm going to keep trying mm-hmm. and keep learning and keep getting it better. And what I love about the sensory component as well is that when you're tasting wine, all your senses are working, mm-hmm. right? So wine to me is quite different where you can be drinking a glass of wine and you're not just drinking it. When you taste it properly, you're looking at it, you're smelling it, you're tasting it, you're touching it, you're trying to identify the texture of it. So it's everything about that wine takes your whole kind of focus. And I just find it quite an immersive, quite calming experience almost. Do you know what? This is so funny because... I'm going to refer back to the cork talk again, everyone. But it's okay. <laughs> Do you know what? Somebody recommended it to me last week and That's I think so you're the second person in the week, so I have to now read it. Well, it's only because I'm actually rereading this part right now. It's so perfect timing. But you know how you've probably heard that people sometimes say, oh, yeah, professional wine tasters or whatever. It's all a sham because if you put a red wine and a white wine at the same temperature in a black glass, many wine experts and wine professionals have literally started describing for a white wine with red red fruit flavors, things like that. You know, it it seems very interesting that our mind, when you see something, we can come up with other flavors. So of course, oh, you know, people are frauds, whatever. Well, anyway, they did a test on the brain sensory. I think it was something like an MRI scan or some other test where the brain was able to light up with them doing things. And they got a whole load of professional wine sommeliers and wine tasters to smell some wine whilst they tested them. And then they took the average consumer who happens to drink wine and they were able to see that in the brain for the professional wine tasters their brain was lighting up 
so much more than the average. So what was happening in the brain, it was stimulating all these different responses and all these nerves and everything were just going crazy. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. So, so, okay, yes. When you put something in the same color glass at the same temperature, people can get confused and tricked, but you can't turn around and say that wine experts and wine professionals with their knowledge and their understanding of smells, aromas and texture and, and structure that they don't know what's going on. It, it's, a, I guess, a different type of intelligence. You, it's a muscle. You're training muscles in your brain. Yeah. They can see that. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Okay, yeah. so that's your, that's your thesis. What's going to be the question of that thesis? So I've got to keep it relatively under wraps. Oh, um, but it okay. will be, I know, I know. But it will be something to do with perceptions in different contexts. Okay. So where you are might influence how you taste wine or what how wine tastes. Interesting. I'll leave it at that. Very mm -hmm. vague and mysterious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I am hoping then by the end of this, the amount of tasting and absolute focus you're putting on you are going to become a super taster then you're going to be able to identify every fault every little scent right i'm hoping so yeah. that, i mean that's that's the superpower exactly because i'm also doing my diploma so i'm hoping combined they'll kind of really complement each other so that then i'll be able to go in to be also you know as said very good at tasting do you know funny enough they came out it was recently in the wine news you know harper's or drinks business that they have discovered with cling film that you can take out tca trichloroanisole so for anybody that's the fault that creates that corked yucky wet cardboardy smelling wine that's horrible so yeah apparently with cling film you can take it I've out i've seen that as well which is really interesting mm. they haven't gone into too much detail but it's been proven they've done the tests they have said it is cling film but it's not like the standard cling film that we buy in the soup kitchen <laughs> <laughs> apparently not although I do say I haven't tried this yet because I haven't had a cork wine since anybody do give it a go there's no harm running your wine through cling film now if maybe it could do something but basically it's a type of cling film that they're using in wineries and you can put the whole wine like I take a whole barrel and put it through that and it will take out the TCA and it doesn't affect too much the alcohol the acidity the other chemical components yes. and whatever there is a little difference it has extracted a little bit but not enough for actually anyone to worry about or for you to just throw the wine out because it's gone but that's about when you identify like a whole barrel has TCA as opposed to just one yeah. bottle but if they've discovered that already that would be a very very handy thing then presumably what in a few years time maybe we will be able to buy little squares little strips of cling film TCA remover or something that you could put on a bottle and just as you pour it into a decanter put it on the top and clean it completely yeah. maybe yeah and there's there's so much innovation as well coming into the world of wine which is really cool and for me it's about that balance because it's really cool we've got some innovation but at the same time I think it's just so wonderful when you you want the grapes to taste of where they come from and you want that minimal intervention and so there's a there's definitely a balance of you don't want to, you know, choke it with sulfur or have some crazy, you know, innovative things that are going on. But that's one of our new modules we've just started this term as well is around innovation in the winery and in the vineyard. So okay. it's quite cool to, to start learning about these sorts of things. What have you learned about so far then in terms of innovation? Yeah, you really, you really quizzing me today. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, tell us everything. You're the font of knowledge for Plumpton College students. Oh, God. There's no pressure. All pressure. Come on, tell me. Tell us everything. So we had a lecture just last week, which was mm -hmm. really interesting on some of the different things in the winery that you can use. And there was this really, we, we all love this uh, idea of a squirrel. 
So I don't know whether you've heard of that, which is like a square barrel. Oh, that's amazing. I was like, did she just say squirrel wrong? A square, <laughs> a, a squirrel, a square barrel. A squirrel, I quite yeah. like that they haven't been like, so they've created something innovative, but they haven't been innovative with the name. They're like, it's square and it's a barrel. Squirrel, that'll do. That's brilliant. It's okay. Exactly. A square barrel. And essentially, if you can imagine, they're basically, majority of them, I think they're metal or they're some sort of uh, maybe stainless steel. Okay. But they're metal and then they have half of them are kind of got wooden planks so you can replace the planks and they're stackable as well. So ah, from a storage saving perspective, they much better. Mm-hmm. And from a cleaning perspective, they're much easier. And yeah, they're much more useful. And our lecturer was saying that they're, they're really good. I mean, they're, they're quite an investment, um, but not just too dissimilar from how much you would pay for a normal kind of French oak barrel. Mm-hmm. But they offer such a space saving component. Mm. So yeah, that was really interesting. Have you seen one? No, I've just seen a picture. Um, but I would okay. love to see them. But yeah, that really kind of blew my mind. I was like, wow, that's really cool. Because I was like, that seems quite traditional. And quite, it doesn't seem too far out that it would be weird. Do you know what I mean? Well, I suppose now winemakers are really playing around with concrete eggs. They're taking amphoras again, yes. even and glass. They're aging in glass now. It's everyone's looking at different ways to age and how it affects the wine. So, yeah, okay, I'm definitely down with a squirrel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, good stuff. What else? What else? And they've also got things like drones as well. Okay. So drones that can then map the vineyards and look at differences and of like how the vineyard water usage is used and, you know, you can map all sorts of different things. Yeah, there's there's some stuff that's going on that is exciting and I think it would be cool for the English wine scene because there's so much innovation going on within the UK because we're such a new kind of resurging country sort of thing. I think that is something that people really need to understand about England. Whereas France and Italy and Spain, they've been making this incredible wine forever, but they've also got their PDOs, their PGIs, their specific regions that have to follow all the specific rules. And in theory, that can make better wine, but it also means it makes the same-ish wine whereas we have that ability to explore and go crazy as an example you're drinking black book they're making a red wine which is a cabernet noir which is a crossing a really really interesting a crossing they don't know one of the the crossings though so i don't know if it's a secret or whatever but okay that's really interesting simpsons who of course i'm drinking right now They've created the Daring Stone, which I haven't tasted yet and I really want to, which is the first Mm. Blanc de Noir still. You know, it's the first white wine from Pinot Meunier, which of course is a red grape. So that's only £19 a bottle. I say only, you know. (laughs) Yeah, it's still still on the end of... um, But comparing it to, you know, some of the, you know, French wines and stuff, yeah. Hush Heath, who were one of my wineries of the week in one of my other English wine episodes, they uh, have recently done a Pinot Noir Nouveau which I was so lucky yes, I, saw oh, that. I was so lucky to have tasted it was insane it was so fun interesting pure concentrated lovely luscious red fruits but then with this real coffee chocolate mocha edge because they put it in like new barrels for like just a few weeks so again you talk about winemaking techniques even that decision of how long does a wine go in a barrel and is it new oak or not yeah. and how that will affect the flavors at the end is actually super interesting you yeah know, your choice and, and what type of oak as well oh, so you've got yeah. french oak hungarian oak slovenian american all the different types of oak cherry oak you can even go for cherry oak um, now if you wanted to is yeah, that there's, becoming there's more popular 
Hungarian is. No, I, did. I know Hungarian <laughs> is a little bit more. Have you tasted specific wines looking at American oak no. versus French oak? No, we haven't specifically. We just know technically what they should taste like. So you've got your American oak should have a little bit more of your kind of vanilla flavours mm-hmm. and maybe some coconut as well, whereas your French oak will be a little bit more integrated potentially because the pores are a little bit smaller. Mm, mm. So that's that's just it's just you know, those sorts of things. But from a we've not done any tasting yet. Well, to be honest, they always say that American oak. You said like the coconut and the vanilla it should also taste like dill the dill herb I'm always like can I smell any dill I haven't quite got that yet that's I think a sense that I don't get I think I'm missing dill Ooh, I, I need to I need to see that if I pick up dill yeah, see if... I don't think I've tested for dill okay <laughs> right note to self must test for dill test for with dill. the next like Napa cab that you have let me know if you taste any dill because I'm just I, I struggle with dill but um, no I think it's really interesting and it is I would say though that sweeter style you do get don't you from your American your Napa your Napa cabs and you know Riocas if they're the more traditional yeah, I was going to say on your Riocas as well you, you get that but then you get this more kind of I I always get like a dark chocolate shards and even a bit more coffee and black pepper. I get that kind of just a bit more savoury with French oak. Yes. What's been really interesting to learn about as well is that winemakers typically won't really know. I mean, unless they've been to that area and done a season or done a harvest in that wine country, they wouldn't know you know you're quite specific in your field right Mm -hmm. so if you work in the UK you'd be very used to a lot of the techniques and the stuff that goes on in the UK wine industry whereas if you're in France it'll be very different probably individual regions as well so it's very specific as to what you may know so um yeah, and there's a lot of chemistry as well that's involved that we're told we kind of need to be aware of, but we don't need to know it off by heart, essentially. Mm. If when you're making premium wines, the whole point is to be very hands-off, to do very little. Pick the yes. grapes, press it, <laughs> f- ferment it, hopefully with wild yeast, and don't even add anything in. You know, it's no additions at all, isn't it? And then don't even add any yeah. sulfur. But it's these cheaper wines, a £5 bottle of wine, which is very interesting. You know, when you start using, I don't know, gum arabic and adding in the acidity, yeah. And I mean, have you played around with a lot of additives that you can put into wine? And Not practically, because again, we've been a bit limited to what we can do mm-hmm. with COVID. But we did do a really interesting project. And, and that's one of the things I can definitely say is a lot of the assessments we've had to do have really been really interesting and more research based. But our last assessment that we had was around creating a wine production plan for a specific type of white wine. So we got given a a style of white wine, a dry white, and we got given all different grape varieties with all of the TAs, the the Brooks readings, which is the sugar, um, and all of the different kind of like how much they, you know, how much they harvested, when they harvested. And then we had to put together a wine production plan, including all the costs and financials of how much everything would cost. Oh, so, fab. you know, any yeast that you would use, any, you know, your nutrition, so any of your DAP, um, Ooh, DAP. any enzymes you wanted okay. to use. Yeah, okay. DAP. DAP. Don't ask me what that means. <laughs> <laughs> I just know, I just know. It's a type of nutrition for the yeast to kick off. Okay. But any of the kind of the things that we would be using, so if you were using bentonite as a fining agent, mm-hmm. if you were using any filtration, if you're doing any settling or clarification, it's really interesting to go through as a winemaker, like, okay, I've got these grapes, what would I do? And to go through that thought process and to also then weigh up what you think would be okay from a financial point of view as well. So it's like, I could put it in oak, but the specification says it needs to be crisp and refreshing. Mm -hmm. So actually 
do I want to do that? And do I want to do malolactic fermentation? Probably not, because that's going to make it more rounder and creamier. And I'm not sure if that would work. So it was really interesting to go through all of those different decisions that you would have as a winemaker mm-hmm. and actually work out what you would do. Yeah. I've just been filling out very boring data forms for my work. Every single wine, you know, of course, the typical things, what fining agent has been used? Is there any eggs? Is there any fish? Is there any animal products used? Yeah. Is they vegan? Are they vegetarian? And just very, very simply doing all these boring tick boxes but you realize all the different types of additives that can go into a wine of course affect that end result right you know a lot of people don't even realize that a wine could be vegan or not vegan and it's very often not just wine yeah and you're completely right though I think with where you've got the premium styles of wine you're going to get less additions and less interfering with the wine but where you've got cheaper bulk wine there's going to be more additions it might not necessarily be vegan or vegetarian and they may have a higher sulfur concentration and especially as well with where unfortunately if you have a year which has got you know more rot or disease then again you're going to have to have higher levels of sulfur or additions to compensate for slightly damaged or diseased grapes absolutely well it's funny all of our wines in our portfolio they start from say six seven pounds a bottle and then go up to 50 and the lowest level always when i literally go through range to range the lowest quality grapes always have the most sulfur in because they're just not healthy enough and strong enough to be able to stay in a bottle for years without any of the preservatives. That's basically what it is. And the other thing, funny enough, it's so interesting as you're saying that, a lot of our lower end wines are not suitable for vegans or vegetarians. And I asked the winemaker, so why is that? But yet our premium is. Very simply, they clarify with some pork gelatine. And that's because they have a machine to do the clarifying or fining however you want to call it and it just whizzes it through really really quickly so it's super super efficient for high volume wines so it's not yet so they don't want to have to really use an animal product it doesn't actually affect the wine or the flavor or anything in any way so of course why would you not make a vegan wine if you can well simply money and time shove it in this machine that has to have something like uh, pork gelatine to make it efficient and that's the reason so I thought you know it is true isn't it for if you are a wine lover you are far more likely to get no additives and vegan at that premium level aren't you yeah exactly that exactly that clean living yes and don't <laughs> exactly and don't get me started on the healthiness of wine because i read every article that's on how healthy it is and how i'm not gonna have any heart attacks and stuff and i'm like yes yes i'm doing it the tannins the resveratrol <laughs> is gonna save my life we're all joking to ourselves right <laughs> well as long as you have a one two five mil glass with your meal and that's obviously where sometimes yes. i go a little bit over you know in sardinia they have the oldest generation of people and they swear by the fact that they all drink delicious amazing cannonau which is also kind of a different version of grenache and with the tannins are very very intense and obviously that resveratrol that we're talking about is what they like to say along with you know walking a lot and hills and lovely sunshine um is partly the reason why they live so long so you know yeah all in moderation right? it, it is all in moderation unfortunately though i'm drinking a white wine so i can't necessarily say that this is this is helping my mental health so i mean depends on how yes. we look at it right <laughs> oh for everybody who wants to know about this wine i think it's really pretty this is 14.99 so again in english wine context this is not very expensive i haven't seen a, a branded wine i've seen one or two supermarket 
own brands that you know that work with the wineries that are less than 10 pounds but generally it's not really possible to get a 10 pound wine or less in england (laughs) at present you can have denbys i think are around the 10 pound mark that's the lowest yes and denbys i mean the volume that they can produce now chapel down has beaten them in terms when they bought the last vineyards now they're the biggest winery but denbys was before but they are one of the largest aren't they so yes if you're looking for an affordable wine that's actually good denbys are fab for that and this one i don't know if they've used any oak on it it smells like there's a touch but it could be that they've done some batonage some lees stirring there you go another winemaking technique that i've done before which i find really fun when I made some wine in 2018, I don't know, I just imagined that batonage mixing up of leaves was some, of course, some French person <laughs> with a really big spoon, just sticking it into a barrel and just swirling it around and whatever. Well, obviously, when you think about a barrel that's on its side, it's got this tiny little hole, hasn't it, at the top? It's like you can't stick a spoon yeah. in there. So I was really shocked by seeing this contraption. We use a metal contraption and it basically, you shove it in and then it opens out and then it it's like a metal helicopter arm sort of thing and then you just you know you just dance around with it and you move it around and then because it's got these little arms they just kind of touch all the leaves and then they move it gently and then of course it's fun just trying to get it out because of course you've got to try and get those arms back up but I thought that was so much fun so nobody you know wasn't quite as romantic as my my French person with their beautiful long wooden spoon but um yeah I think this has got some leaves aging and it's just yeah it's got this really soft creaminess it's got much peachier as it's warmed up since we've started the podcast before it was really kind of limey really kind of seemed quite uh, zesty and like a real direct like a tack of a chardonnay but it's seeming to have got rounder and softer now and it's it's definitely not as like mineral and flinty as their top wine as their Roman Road Chardonnay, but I wouldn't I wouldn't expect that. That's like twenty mini no. like twenty five pound a bottle. This is fifteen, so it's ten pounds cheaper. But lovely, actually, it, to be honest, it is zesty. It's grapefruit, lime, quite soft, quite textural, but it's quite zippy. If somebody didn't know, you could definitely say it's shabbly in style, yeah. which again doesn't surprise me with the soils. Yeah, I would say my Simpsons Chardonnay that I had, which was the Gravel Castle, mm. was delicious. But yeah, very shabbly esque and very kind of as you said zippy and limey and just fresh and just gorgeous to be honest Mm. just super drinkable and I think I drank quite a lot of it in one (laughs) sitting Well, we've just it's talked dangerous. about that. That's not healthy, remember? Where's your one, two, five? <laughs> yes, exactly. I have to be very careful. Oh, that's funny. I well, I have to say, when people can travel again, I hope the people who are listening that are outside of England as well will come to England and actually go on wine tours. So many of these wineries are now set up for such amazing tours. I have not been to Simpsons Wine Estate yet, and I do plan to, because do you know they have a Helter Skelter? What? Uh, yes. That's, uh, that's the biggest reason to go, right? Uh, well, aside from the wine. From the wine yeah. <laughs> aside from the wine. <laughs> You're like, Ruth, <laughs> Charles, seriously. Sure yeah. We... yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they basically have this, it's two floors. I believe that the winery is on the ground floor and the tasting room is on the second floor. So after you finish your tasting and you're like, hey, I want to leave, or I guess maybe see the winery, I'm not quite sure exactly what part. You're like, bye everyone. And you go down what they call the fruit shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, that's brilliant. I ask all my wonderful wine friends around the world, have you been to a winery with a helter skelter slide? I'm just just saying, just putting out there that sort of thing exists in England. So, it's this level of innovation that, you know, 
people yeah. want. <laughs> I think I think Simpsons are certainly a winery to look out for. Uh, I mean, these guys have had nearly 20 years of experience making wine in France and then they brought that to here. Yes. So I think the English wine industry is still very young and a lot of people are still finding their feet and actually playing around, which is actually what's going to move us so much further forward. But certainly if you get somebody with all that experience coming straight in and being really particular about what sites, what clones, how they make it, the finest equipment they possibly can, analyzing like crazy, you know, you're going to get some pretty good stuff. And then, yeah, you can go down a slide. That's the conclusion. Yeah. And and I've had their rosé as well, and that is beautiful. That is is lovely. Yeah. Their rosé is gorgeous. It's very provincial, very just just stunning to be honest I loved it yeah and it comes with the Vanolok oh I didn't have a Vanolok on mine no No, I think there is a couple of different types but the one I had didn't it was just from I think I picked it up from Waitrose and it just had a grey cap oh oh well the wine was still delicious but yeah shame about that <laughs> it happens. I'd have loved a Vanalock, whatever they call yeah, Vanalock. They look so elegant, but yeah, their top rose, they use the the Vanalock and I think it's really really pretty. Well, okay, I have one more question for you. I just want to find out if when you were working in South Africa, even here in the winery in Plumpton College, any disasters, anything either we should know about. <laughs> um there was a there was a couple of scrapes and a couple of oh accidents like human accidents yeah human accidents yeah i mean working in a winery is manual labor and it's tough work and you're dealing with big machineries and heavy stuff and i I feel sorry for the guys that had me in uh, (laughs) had me in south africa because they know that i'm a bit i'm a little bit clumsy what did you do uh well, I just, I was doing something and I just walked into a tank. The tank had a, um, what do they call? It's not even that glamorous. There's a little um, thing that sticks out, which is where you can sometimes draw like the, the wine Like from. a tap. Should we call it a tap? Yeah. A tap. I'm pretty, exactly I'm pretty tap. sure it's yeah. called a tap. That's a so, tap. Hell- you know, when you're trying to be like too fancy and you're like, nah, it's just a tap. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think it could have just been yeah. a tap. So there was a tap on the uh-huh. side, which it was a very small tap and was just stuck out and very, very scratchy. Yeah. Anyway, I was moving around this other barrel and there was pipes everywhere and I was, you know, going to get a hose and I just accidentally scraped this massive line across my shoulder, which is scarred and is still there today. <gasps> What's in there? Oh, it's like there your own little winery tattoo. Coming out. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's... Exactly, which is quite lovely. And I think I'm going to put like a little table mountain tattoo over it, which would be quite cute. But I, I just went straight into the lab and was like, sorry, I've hurt myself again. <laughs> again, oh, they're like, God. oh, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't have her back next year. When I was doing Harvest, one time I was working in, which many wineries have, they have these like little experimentation areas, you know, part in the winery where you're making wines and making blends that no one will ever see it's just you know for the winemaker to see if something might work and so I was literally it's not glamorous at all taking bunches of grapes and putting them in like little plastic bags and literally stepping on them with my feet so that I could just like get them all crushed and so I could get them into like a little plastic bottle you know like the plastic bottles that the water bottles that you have in an office you put it upside down and then you can press the button and the water comes out we use using yes. them that size because literally the quantity of grapes was so small these that you know one little row and that was going to be what was going to make a few bottles of wine sort of thing and then they were going to test that and say yeah anyway we needed to put before doing kind of fermentation i needed to put in some dry ice cool them down and all that sort of stuff absolutely yeah. and i put the bung that like there's like a little rubber bung that we were using that's often for anyone who's interested that's what they kind of shove into a barrel and i put that into the top of it and carried all these bottles in into the fridge I needed to get them out then so we could start doing the fermentation process and I picked up one 
look down at it, obviously, because that's what happens when you pick up a bottle. And the bung, it just mm. shot into my eye literally like with so much power no one had obviously ever told me that there could be some buildup of I guess carbon dioxide or anything or just pressure and it hit me so hard and I'm yeah yeah, and I remember thinking oh my god like what if I go blind I mean I'm a I'm a drama queen at the best of times but um literally (laughs) within like two minutes I was able to open up my eye and I didn't even get a black eye so I think I was an absolute hypochondriac but nonetheless I was just like wow um accidents definitely happen in wineries for sure yeah (sighs) they do but it's just one of those things and I think you talk to anybody and there's there's something that you know went wrong I'm very fortunate that I didn't fall in a tank or fall in a press or you know any of those (laughs) things because we did make the joke that if you fall in the press and you die then the winery has to close for five days so I was like well if one of you die at least we'll get five days (laughs) off That joke was made. Is that the rule in South Africa? <laughs> that that was the rule from what I, I'm aware oh, of. Right. But, um, yeah. Well, that's nice. You get yeah, five, five days of respect. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have to clean or whatever. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay. So maybe people are still working. They're just actually, you know, carrying out your oh, remains. Okay. Know. Let's not talk yeah. about that. It sounds funny, but no. I'm sure not funny if it's um, happened to anyone who knows of someone. Anyway, moving on quite swiftly. Jenny, thank you so much just for sharing just a little bit about Plumpton College. I think it's amazing. I'll probably do a little bit of research on Plumpton College and let people know some details and bits and bobs if they're interested in going to can people visit obviously imagine if we were all back in you can do short courses so they do a whole heap of short courses so there's some smaller courses that you can do for one or two weeks just on the principles of winemaking or principles of grape growing they also do some wine business courses you can also go to an opening day they have a couple of years there's mm-hmm. a few ways that you can go and visit them for sure and you can buy their wines as well from from waitrose is stocking their wines ah, as well they'll probably be waitrose seller though won't it because i imagine they're not going yes mm. exactly waitrose online yeah for sure. okay yeah. awesome that's amazing and actually i haven't tasted any of plumpton's wine so i probably should would they be made by students or have they got an in-house winemaker from somewhere they have a head winemaker that looks after all of the students but the students will probably contribute not the master students because we're not as hands-on mm-hmm. but the bachelor students for sure would be would be involved okay there we go a bit of a kind of community feel then as well if people go for a plumpton yeah. bottle and uh, we look forward to seeing how your orange wine comes on and if we see it on the market then we know that you guys did all right <laughs> Yeah, those uh, 10 to 15 bottles will be selling pretty damn high. <laughs> Absolutely, a £1,000 a bottle because they're exactly. so limited. Yeah, um, I won't be uh, purchasing one. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you ever so much, Jenny. Really, really appreciate it. And I shall carry on enjoying my wine. I'll think of you whilst you're drinking your rosé. And maybe at some point we shall share a bottle together that's the dream yes absolutely thank you so much for having me it's been wonderful great to chat about wine have a very good night cheers thank take you. care bye cheers thanks bye so after chatting with jenny online harpers did an interview with anna dogich who is one of the winemakers at plumpton college and she made a comment on working with barrels now she said In the last four years, I've started to work with bigger barrels from 500 litre to fudres of 1,700 litres, and I'm delighted with the results. Big barrels allow slow micro-oxidation, and in combination with leaving the wine on its lees without sulphur addition results in complex, layered, and structured wines. 
I just think it's fascinating all the different types of oak barrels you could use and of course all the different types of vessels whether it be amphoras whether it be cement tanks whether you use glass they all affect the wine in different ways so if anybody wants to know a little bit more about those effects on the wine go across to patreon.com slash eat sleep wine repeat where there are extension episodes of all of these podcasts and on this specific episode I'm going to be looking at the different types of aging vessels and their effect on wine it's simply a couple of quid a month it massively helps support me for all the editing time and the money that goes into the production of these podcasts so come across and join the patreon team I would love to see you there So this brings me to the end of the podcast and you know that means it's wine quote time. And this one I love. It's an ancient winemaker's proverb and it says, Give a man a bottle and he will drink for a day. Teach a man to make wine and he will always have lots of friends. (laughs) Wine has always helped me with making lots of friends and that's one of my favourite parts. Thank you as always for listening to these episodes, for sharing them, for liking them, for leaving me any comments. It's really appreciated. And so until another episode, cheers to you. 